5: Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, as well as the mobile app. He's Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. And multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program, two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter is option B. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So, a very impressive come-from-behind victory for New York, knocking off the Packers 27-22. to 22. The Giants now 4-1 and 1 for the first time since 2009 when they kicked off the season at 5-0. and 0. And there's a lot to unpack, a lot to unravel, so we'll break down the game off the top, and then obviously we'll get some feedback from you as we make our way over these next 60 minutes. And, Paul, it was interesting. On Friday's program, we were breaking down the entire matchup, and you use the term pathway to victory. And we were talking about all the things that the Giants would need to do to position themselves in that spot. And when you look back, I think a lot of the things we discussed came to fruition. And that was a big reason why the Giants pulled off this victory. We mentioned having to run on the early downs so that you don't face lengthy third downs so that you're able to sustain drives. We talked about... The fact that you've got to get to Aaron Rodgers a little bit to make him uncomfortable. And also the fact that this is not a game where running the Wildcat 24-7 like they did against the Bears was going to be conducive because you had to give the Packers a reason to respect your passing game. And when you look at all those things, Daniel Jones threw the ball 27 times in this game. And made some efficient decisions. They ran the ball effectively. They were excellent on third down against the number one third down defense in the NFL. Packers were only allowing 24% of a conversion rate. Giants were 6 of 11. And you know me, time of possession is fantastic. But at the end of the day, it's all about what you do with it. They did a lot with it. There was substance behind time of possession. You hold the ball for over 32 minutes. You score on your final five possessions where you get two field goals and three touchdowns there was bang for your buck so a lot of the things that were laid out they executed and that's a big reason why they walked away with this w
2: lance i agree but i gotta throw another cherry on top of this and it has to do with the young song heroes the lanes the mcleods the marcus johnsons the guys who were not even on this team before opening day who were basically picked up off the scrap heap And in a billion years, if I said to you they're going to play significant snaps in an important situation of a game that could be in the balance, you would have said, no, that's not possible. Or you would have said, if they do, it's going to spell doom for the Giants. But that's not the case. These guys, these unsung heroes, if you will, came up and made plays. And for me, the significant part about that is that this coaching staff has these guys prepared. And this coaching staff believes and trusts those guys. I know they're not starters for a reason, but those players feed off the vibe that they get from their teammates and from their coaches that say to them, you're here, you're on the roster, you're a teammate, you've got some ability, you can help us win, go make the play. And that's what those guys did. McLeod and Lane, are you kidding, against Aaron Rodgers in that spot? And they survived, and they helped this team win. That I, I can't say enough. It's about this coaching staff believing in the players, the players believing and trusting their coaches. I wrote about this on Twitter this morning. And then on top of that, these players believing in each other. Now, that stuff doesn't mean a hell of beans if you play like crap, you make mental errors, and you lose a game. But when things come together like this and you get the final result and the production that you were looking for, those intangibles do carry weight. And I think that's the thing for me that impresses me even more than anything else that these, quote, stars did on the field.
5: Well, at the end of the day, also, the cherry on top is they executed, Paul, right? I mean, you could love a player on your roster. You could coach him up like crazy during the week. At the end of the day, when the lights are on, they have to execute. And Nick McLeod, it's interesting you brought him up, because if you go back, when he first came in, Aaron Rodgers, you know what this reminded me of, Paul? Remember the 2016 playoff game when Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie got hurt in that game? Yes. And they had a change at corner. Aaron went after. Wade. Correct. He immediately went after Wade. Killed him. And Aaron's not stupid. He understands that. He sees McLeod get on the field. If you go back, he threw in McLeod's direction the first two plays, and McLeod was all of a sudden spinning. He was like, you know, there's ten other guys, Aaron. You could target. Okay. I'm just getting my feet wet. But credit to McLeod. As the game progressed, he... Got his feet stabilized. He got more and more comfortable, it seemed. And Justin Lane, who, by the way, Lane's had a little bit more experience with his days with Pittsburgh. But somebody else who also executed. That, to me, is the key. The number that jumps out to me that I don't think, when you look at the box score, and even from an optic standpoint, comes to light, they had clearly the two key deflections. When you had Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence, and then, of course, Xavier McKinney. Mm -hmm. The third and goal at the two, the fourth and goal at the two. Huge plays. Goes yes. without saying. Okay, oh, man. But here's the thing, Paul. Aaron Rodgers, who had a very good performance, he was efficient. I'd say he took some chances on that three and out, which baffled me after the Giants put together lengthy drives, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But he had 14 incompletions. Of the 14 incompletions, Paul, seven of them were a result of passes defensed. That's a very high volume. 50% of Aaron Rodgers' incompletions were a result of the Giants making a play on the ball. So while, once again, the two deflections at the line of scrimmage, important, crucial, critical, however you want to word it. But all throughout the game, when Aaron couldn't convert with his wide receivers, it was a product of the Giants' defense, whether it be the front line or the DBs, being in position to make a play. And I thought that was extremely impressive.
2: Well you're referring to this defense and, and I'll just go back to Wink Martindale. You know, I I can't say enough about this guy. I mean, every time you blinked, you saw a different formation with a different personnel combination with guys being deployed in different positions. It's again, I call it the kaleidoscope defense and that's what Wink does. And and it's it's laughable to think that he could have confused Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure he did not. I thought Rodgers had a very pedestrian game, to be honest with you. But let's, let's put that aside. Well, he didn't aside. put up
5: monster numbers from that standpoint. It's not like he had a four-touchdown, 350-yard game.
2: Well, you know, in, in his seven previous games against the Giants in his career, four different times he had four touchdown passes against them. Sure. So he he has been a real thorn in their sides. Comparatively speaking, this was a pedestrian game. But here's what I will say. Wink Martindale, I, I I talked to Wink privately the other day. And, and I won't share a lot of what I said with him, but, but something I can think I can share because I don't think it's, it's secretive. I, sp- I, I asked him about some of the lesser-known players deeper on the depth chart, and I actually used Dane Belton as an example. And I said, it's surprising to me at how much burn some of these guys have gotten, and I know some because of injury, and how important some of their plays have been. And I asked him, you know, like, what is the characteristic there? And he said, look, first of all, the scheme is not as hard as you think it is. If you understand the concepts and you understand the entire defense, it's not that hard. It may look hard, and obviously offenses have a tough time to decipher it. But he said it's really not not that hard if you understand the broad concepts of what we're trying to do. He said, but what I will tell you, goes, you want to use Belton as an example? He is very, very football smart and has an outstanding work ethic. Every practice, he's the guy who's standing right over there on the sideline next to me when he was injured, and he was constantly getting his nose involved in what the play was. He wanted to know what we were calling, why we were calling it, asking questions. He was all over it. He is a great student of the game. And I said, wow. So so this wasn't about Iowa and all the different variable positions he played. He goes, "No, no, no." He goes, "That's fine, but he's a student of the game and and he's intently focused on learning as much as he can to be as good as he can and he's aggressive in doing so." And I said, "Well, Jesus, man, that 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 explains not just him, but it explains some of these other backups too who are being put into bigger roles." They obviously know what they're doing. I don't see your defense making a lot of mental mistakes and having brain lock. And that's a credit to not only the fact that they brought in football smart players, but it's also a credit to the coaching staff, which obviously communicates well and teaches these guys what they're supposed to do.
5: So a lot of credit also belongs, obviously, to the positional coaches. Yes. With respect to Belton, though, in fairness, Iowa's not going to put him in varied positions. I know you were talking about it's two separate things, unless he is football savvy and well, smart. It's a and product. He's a student of the game. To it's me, a they're product. It's synonymous of it. with one another.
2: It's a product of it. I wouldn't yeah. say it's not. Although sometimes in a college game, in a situation like that, you've got your best athlete. And you'll just say, look, we're going to play you all over the place because you're the best guy we got. Just go out there and make plays. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's got the football smarts.
5: Sure, he has to translate that to the NFL level. But, I mean, Kirk Ferentz, who's their head coach, who has coached football for a long Mm -hmm. time and has been very successful and understands what it takes to groom guys to get to the NFL, something tells me there's a connection there that goes back to his college days in addition to what they're getting out of him and his work ethic, at least in the first few games this season. But, yeah, no doubt about it, huge storyline was the fact that the depth chart stepped up because – I don't want that to be the lead, but here we go again. This is the second straight game where the injuries did pile up, Paul, and it's going to be interesting to see what the injury report looks like heading into the Baltimore game, but you had Fabian Moreau. He got shaken up. Dane Belton briefly got shaken up, who you mentioned he did return. Chris Myrick, an ankle injury, he returned. Adoree Jackson did not. The knee injury prevented him from playing in the second half. D.J. Davidson, knee injury, he was carted off the field. And then, of course, Saquon briefly left with the shoulder injury, but he returned. So a lot of guys were in and out of the lineup, and that's why some of these players off the bench, Paul, it's not that they played the entire game, but there may have been a series of plays where they had to go in and if you have breakdowns or mental farts or mishaps, however you want to word it, you know, Aaron could easily take advantage and get that big explosive play. So they stopped the bleeding from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that's a big reason why the Packers look like a different team in the second half compared to the first half because the guys that were called upon to make plays did that where you figure if you're Green Bay, okay, hey, we got a lot of guys in and out of the lineup. Here's our time to try to reclaim a grasp of this game, and it never happened. And part of the reason why it never happened is, I use the term at-bats. Right. Paul, the Packers had one possession in the third quarter. Oh, I know. I know. The Giants put together two possessions wrapped around that one that ate up 15 minutes of clock time. And here's the thing. They scored touchdowns. Yeah. That's the key. They finish drives and score touchdowns. We get callers all the time. you got to dominate the ball. you got to keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. That's fantastic. If you walk away with two or three field goals and you score nine points, Aaron gets back on the field. He throws a 75-yard bomb to Alan Lazard. Those field goals in time of possession means nothing. You were scoring touchdowns. That
2: was an X factor. Yeah, you're season. right. And, and to that point, in terms of scoring touchdowns and not settling for three, how about Gary Brightwell? forcing his way into the end zone with some help from his teammates, getting a push from Neal and Myrick, okay, as he was trying to plow his way in from the two-yard line with Barkley on the sidelines with a shoulder injury. And and let's not forget, you know, Ben Bredesen has had kind of mixed results here in his time at guard. Well, guess what? He was the guy who plowed the way for him. And Brightwell ran right up his back. And then Neal and Myrick pushing on Brightwell's back, to, again, make sure that he crossed the goal line for that touchdown.
1: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Again,
2: guys who are not necessarily headline names but unsung heroes – who just did the dirty work to make it happen. There, there, there are so many other uh, instances that we could talk about during the course of this game. But, of course, that buries the lead, that Barkley did what Barkley does, and Daniel Jones was magnificent.
5: Speaking of Barkley... Brightwell deserves credit for his first career touchdown. He also was the blocker the block. on Barkley's go-ahead yeah. touchdown. Yep. Okay, how about that? Excellent. He played like a fullback role on that. So Brightwell, he gets credit for scoring. He also helped open up a path for Saquon. But yeah, the star players, as we move from the back end to the depth chart, Paul, to the front end of the roster... Yeah, they came to play. Barkley had a pair of 40-yard plays. What do we talk about each week? You need those explosive plays to help you finish drives, okay? There was some semblance of that. And, Daniel, it was a gritty performance. It's not one of those games that was going to win you a fantasy contest. And I know you don't play fantasy, so you may not even understand what I'm talking about, Paul. But you talked about Aaron's pedestrian numbers Daniel threw for 217. I mean, this was their first game, by the way, in what, like 13 contests where they actually surpassed 200 net passing yards? So that goes to show you they were just over the horizon there. But he was 21 of 27. So, good decisions, no turnovers, protected the ball, only sacked once. And here's the other thing that jumped out to me that doesn't show up anything with respect to the passing game. He ran the ball, Paul, 10 times for 37 yards. That also doesn't dazzle anybody, but how many of those runs, quarterback draw, where there's an option to pass a run, the defense parted like the Red Sea, and Daniel just took the option to run up the gut, and run for a first down, and give them maybe a manageable third down. Those decisions, that may have been the best part of Daniel Jones's play yesterday. On the ground with his legs, setting up manageable downs or moving the chains. That, to me, was the most impressive thing, more so than maybe any other throw that I think I would throw out.
2: And that's fine. However you want to compliment Daniel Jones is going to be okay with me today, because I just thought all around. He was sensational. Darius Slayton... Uh, knocking yep. off the cobwebs, obviously. And then the only other comment I'll make, and I know we want to get to the calls because these folks are really dialing us up, I will say this. Something we've seen consistently through these first five games, which is a two big reasons why the Giants are 4-1. and They have dramatically reduced their missed tackles, which have been abundant over the last several years. Well, they're cutting down on those. They're doing a much better job of taking people to the ground. And that is huge when you're not giving up those extra yards after contact. So so plaudits to the defense for that. And on offense, one drop pass yesterday. Saquon Barkley on a screen. That gives the Giants ten dropped passes for the season. That's two a game, Lance. I can't tell you how many times I'd reviewed a game tape on a Monday morning and I'd put five, six, seven drop passes down on my chart. And it's it's been an epidemic since Eli's last few years here. No, these these guys are holding on to the ball for their quarterback. They're making plays for their quarterback now. And it makes a huge difference. Real
5: quick, your point about yardage after the catch, missed tackling. Remember, the Packers led the NFL in yardage after the catch coming in. And they didn't necessarily have a lot of damaging plays from that standpoint. One other thing that I want to bring up, and to me, this was the turning point of the game. Dexter Lawrence's sack on third down of Aaron Rodgers that, listen, it wouldn't have been a chip shot for Mason Crosby. Let's make that clear because his longest of the season entering was about 40 yards, so it would have been a 50-some-odd yarder. And Matt LaFleur would have had something to think about even if Aaron Rodgers got no gain at all on that play. But the fact that it definitely took him out of field goal range because they were at the Giants' 36, they get backed up to the 42. It was a loss of six. The reason why that was, to me, such a huge turning point, it sucked the air out of the Packers after that because the Giants put together a lengthy touchdown, and then this, to me, was uncharacteristic Aaron Rodgers. They went three and out. It's a 2020 game, Paul, and Aaron is throwing some bombs down the field, which I didn't think was necessary in a tie game. I mean, why not work what worked for you earlier in the game? Eight-yard passes, nine-yard passes, spraying the well. He sort of, he got the itch to now try to go for the home run, a quick three and out, and then the Giants responded with another touchdown drive. So the Lawrence sack just really threw a wrench into the Packers for some while. Well,
2: reason. I'll only say this. He saw pedestrian guys in the secondary, and he figured, okay, they got third stringers playing deep. Huh, I'm going to take a shot. That's why he did it. I mean, when guys like Lane or McLeod come into the game, a guy like Aaron Rodgers is going to say, hmm, there's a red light on that guy's head. I think I'm going to go for a big play. This guy's just coming in. He's been on the street, you know, for how many months until the Giants just brought him in? I think we can take advantage. That's why he did it. That's why. I just, you know, once again, McLeod
5: had been in the game at that point a little bit on the previous drive. He's not exactly
2: accomplished, though. The resume doesn't stand
5: out. 100%. But they were effective in the first half in utilizing those shorter passes, eight, nine yards, manageable third downs. It was working. They just didn't have many possessions in the second half. I was a little bit surprised that he got a bit out of character from that standpoint, especially a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Giants fans, you could join us Sunday, October 16th. This upcoming Sunday, the Giants are going to be back at MetLife Stadium hosting the Ravens as the team celebrates Latino Heritage Month. Presented by Ford, you can arrive early to partake in several plaza activations, including food sampling, salsa dancing, live music, and celebrity artist DJ Camillo performing during pregame warm-ups and select times throughout the game. Limited tickets are available. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seats today. Also, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand. Head direct to Big Blue fans, Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV as well as the Giants mobile app. Lance Metal, Paul Tito with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Monday's edition, recapping the Giants' 27-22 win over the Packers. Let's open up the lines. We check in with Hugo in New Jersey. Hugo, welcome to the program.
0: What do you got for us? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hi. And my comments are somewhat related to uh, what you're saying about the quality of the coaching and sort of the use of the, uh, the bottom of the roster throughout the game. Um you know, what I really enjoy about this team is that you have role players embracing their roles. You know, I, I remember days uh, you know, over the last call it five years at least, where Carl Banks said we had a bunch of guys on scholarship on this roster. That's not the case anymore. And, and you know, it really translates into the physicality I saw out there. I think in that fourth quarter, the Packers were looking for the first plane out of Heathrow, to be honest with you, because we were just beating them up, bludgeoning them. And you, you you talked about Gary Brightwell. Gary Brightwell is the kind of guy who comes in, he'll block. When he gets his one or two carries, he's like shot out of a cannon. He's not doing stuff to the outside. He's just there. He plows in there and punishes the defense. I saw a guy like Toman Fox, right, with the agile There's
2: another guy to mention. Sure.
0: Right? Right? So he plays his dozen or so snaps in a fill in role. He has heavy hands. He sets the edge. And when he hits somebody, he comes with a physical presence. So I think, you know, one underrated thing about this team is we're really physical. And you saw it against the Bears and you saw it against Green Bay. And that's why we won. We just, you know, I think Thibodeau said it. We took them to the deep end of the pool and they didn't want to swim. (laughs) I think they were swimming towards Heathrow and get the hell out of town.
2: Well, I don't necessarily want to put it that way, but I will say this, and Lance, I'm sure you will agree, and and, and basically when you said the Packers had one possession in the third quarter, that's what Parcells used to call about when he would say to us, you want to be able to impose your will on the game. You want to control the game. You want to set the tempo, and you want the game to be played as you have diagrammed it out. That's what the Giants did in the second half.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's no yeah. doubt about it. Well, and that plays a role into the physicality. They were running the ball. They were keeping the Packers' defense on the field. And they were sustaining lengthy drives with minimal mistakes. So, I mean, every checkmark, if you were like, okay, we're going to go through a lengthy drive, what are the things you want to avoid? They avoided it. What are the things you need to do? They executed. And that's exactly how they were able to dominate the clock and most important, finished drives. I don't think you go to your point that, the Packers were scared or wanted to get the hell out of there because the bottom line is Green Bay played a good first half. They were extremely efficient. They were six yards
2: away from tying the game.
5: Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is they just they could not sustain that in the second half because they couldn't get the Giants off the field. So I didn't see a team that was timid from that standpoint. I just thought the Giants very well-executed performance in the second half, and that's exactly how they yeah. won the win.
0: And, you know, maybe I overstated it, but, you know, a- after a couple of those hits, that the defense put on on the receiver, the running back, you could see them getting up a little bit slowly, and, and definitely the de- their defense was winded. I mean, I saw guys kneeling on the sidelines just kind of rolling their eyes. Well, because they were out there, there for a lot television. of plays. That's my point.
2: Hugo, yeah. I will say this. I agree with you that Wink Martindale preaches – determination, intensity, and hard hitting on defense, and he demands that from his guys for all 60 minutes. And on the other side of the ball, and I was jumping up and down like a pogo stick when I saw more three tight ends, unbalanced lines. Are you kidding me? This is stuff right out of the 70s and the 80s. I absolutely love the offensive playbook. Now, I thought the Bellinger touchdown— you know, to get too fancy down there sometimes gives me a little trepidation. And i got to be honest, when that play was being run, I'm like, oh, no, just just pound it. Just pound it. Take that ball in there and shove it up their noses and get the touchdown. Why get fancy? Of course, Bellinger wound up running it in anyway, so it worked out. That was a play right out of the Chiefs playbook with Travis Kelsey. He does stuff like that all the time with Kansas City. But, right. but, But let's not forget the unbalanced line, and the use of the triple tight ends and the H-back. I can't say enough about how this coaching staff, as creative and innovative as they are, they use a lot of old-school football stuff. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Screw the video game game plans. These guys are pulling out old-school stuff, and I love it.
5: Well, it's a combination of both, and I think part of that is, and you go appreciate the phone call, it's to accommodate – The roster and sometimes the limitations that they have. You can't be so fancy if you don't have the personnel to do that. And one other thing, by the way, about the Bellinger touchdown that you were just referring to. Brian Dable in his postgame presser indicated when they were running that play in practice, Dable said to Bellinger, listen. I've got a lot more confidence in you running the <laughs> ball in than throwing the ball into the end zone. So he told him, hey, I have confidence in you running the play, but don't feel as if you've got to make a throw. If it's not there, throw the ball away. We'll live to see another down. And that reinforcement, while, listen, there's a lot of coaches that reinforce those things to their players. I don't want to make it sound like the Giants coaching staff is the only coaching staff in the NFL that does that. But those type of game planning sessions that you have during the week, and you say, listen, if you throw an incomplete pass, it's okay. We'll then have another down to yeah. try to punch it in. It's preparation. It's mindset. Exactly. So that, to me, was also something that you need to highlight. You're getting fancy, which I understand gives you trepidation, Paul, but you're also saying at the same time, if it doesn't work out, it's OK. We're not going to now downgrade you on the roster as a result of maybe making the smarter decision, which is to not even throw it. And you know what? Kadarius Tony, if you recall, when he's been healthy, there were also plays, right, Paul? They yeah. ran an opportunity for him to throw and What did yeah. he do? He held on to the Tuck ball. Tuck it
2: down. Tuck it down. Live yeah. to see another down. And by the way, on the Bellinger touchdown, let me give a pat on the back to David Sills. He made, he made the block there that actually sprung Bellinger into the end zone. He could have had Hudson wide open with the pass if he wanted to, but Sills gave him the block that allowed him to get the clean path in. And so, you know, again, another high five to a guy who was not a headliner. I know he started a lot of games, played a lot of snaps, but he's not a headliner, and he made the dirty play so that his tight end could get in.
5: Just like Brightwell. And Bellinger had indicated that Hudson and Daniel Jones were the two mm-hmm. targets that at least he would have considered on the play before he ran it in.
3: Anthony is in
5: London, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Anthony?
3: Hey, hey guys. Anthony lives in Brooklyn, New York. He's in London as we speak. Hello. Um, what, I'm a Paisan from Brooklyn, Paul. Uh, one of the great, truly the great days of fun days I ever had in my life. It was just a blast. I've, I've been out here for weeks seeing friends and the business I used to be in. I've been to London 30 times in my life. When I found out the Giants were playing, I had to get a ticket. Went on my own, uh, met a few people. Just an absolute blast as far as the experience goes. Uh, I couldn't have had a better day. Obviously, the way they played in the second half, I mean, I could have been prouder. The coaching staff, the players, just just so gritty. I'm so happy for Daniel Jones. I mean, he gets criticized so often. And to come out and play that way, I'm, I'm just happy for the kid, you know. Um I mean, as far as the game goes, look, I mean I'm like you, Paul. I have watched thousands of games of my life. I've watched listened to the Giants and Marty Glickman since the late sixties. Matter of fact, I turned up with a uh man Lockhart shirt that I had made up a couple of years ago. No kidding. And when I <laughs> No and when I got off the tube, right, which there was nothing but Packer fans. It was insane. I I felt like I woke up in Wisconsin when I got <laughs> Well, it was a Packers home game, so and they travel well. But I'm telling you, and also there's a, and people are saying to me, said, there's a lot of Brits who become Packers fans because they've been successful. So once you start following the sport, the nice next five to ten years, you know, you're gonna be a Packers fan uh, or whatever. You know what I mean? Dallas fan and uh, you know what New England. But anyway, so I, I get up at subway and I see a guy probably about my age with his wife wearing a Spider Lockhart jersey. So I chased him down. I can't believe it. I said to the guy, I cannot believe you're wearing a Spider Lockhart jersey. And then I ran into another guy, a Brit, really cool guy, who had the old LT jersey with a little Spider Lockhart patch. When when Spy, uh, Spider passed away, I guess LT was wearing that on his jersey. Well, the Giants
2: wore but, that patch in Super Bowl Twenty One in 86. They, they all had the that's Spider right. patch. I didn't even
3: realize it. He was telling me that, and I probably knew it back then, but I didn't even think about it. But in any event, as I said, it, it just was, was a tremendous experience. It was just a blast, a lot of fun, and then – you know, I'm telling people around me, you know, I'm saying, look, they got, there's nobody playing. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, the scratches before the game. I'm in the stadium looking at the scratches, and I'm going, oh, my, I didn't realize that, you know, because I've been here in London for the last week. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's still not playing. He's still not playing. He's still not playing.
2: <laughs> I know. I, lo-
3: I, looked at the li- I looked at the line, and I said, somebody asked me, what do you think the line is? And I said, well, it probably would have been six. But I said, right, no, it's got to be ten points. So I looked at the line. I'm not a better, but I said, yeah, there it is. It's ten points. makes sense. When they tied up the game, I was just thrilled. I said to the guy next to me, I said, I'm just happy they made it a game. I'm just so proud of them that they actually fought back and made it a game. I was getting texts from people in London, texts from my friends in New York saying, ah, they're going to get killed. I get the same text the first game of the season when they were playing Tennessee. I watched so many games in my life, and I know football, you know, whatever, as well as I think anybody knows it. I never give up. You're down by 30. That's one thing. I've seen it's football. You know how football is. It's back and forth. One play here, tip pass here. Things change. So you're watching. But still, you know, with the roster the way it was uh, and the fact that, I mean, you know, you, it was like being in Green Bay, except it was like 70 degrees. I mean, it was so loud and it was such a Green Bay crowd. And it was just so much fun being there. But once they started coming out and made it a game, it got so exciting. And I was sitting around a bunch of Giant fans. And we just had the greatest day. so it was just one of the great days that I've had personally, just, just in general, Certainly uh, watching a football game. I'm not a big fan of going to games. I watch every single game. I watch every single NFL game, practically. I mean, I used to go to the draft at the Roosevelt Hotel when I was a kid. I mean, I'm just a crazy, giant NFL fan. So you had as good a time as
2: Brian Dable did. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. (laughs) You know what? I
3: heard, and I was at a pub um, around Trafalgar Square a couple days before, just meeting a friend called the horse and guardsman, I guess. And I heard that the Giants were going to be there. And the kid who worked behind the bar, he said to me, listen, I'm back and forth. i got to meet some ex-clients and friends. What time are they going to be? He wouldn't tell me what time that, like, Banks and um, Papa were going to be there. And I said, come on, to me a fair race. Said, I can't just stay around all day long. I've got a lunch plan. He wouldn't tell me. And I actually ran into a guy from Austin, Texas on Saturday night before the game. He's wearing a giant jacket, you know, like a fan jacket. And I stopped him. I said, what are you doing? Are you going to the game? He goes, yeah. Long story short, he was at the horse and guardsman. he was telling me that he bet banks and blah, 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 blah. We met up at the game. He, he, now the guy's like a friend now for life now. We had the best time ever. So, Anthony, nice. safe travels,
2: name. man. Yeah, appreciate the phone and call. And call again, please. Uh, he's, 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 he's revved up there, Lance, and I don't blame him. <laughs>
5: well, listen, it's good that it was a great experience for anybody who went out to London, considering it's a, a lengthy trip. A lot of money that you got to spend to get over there. So, you know, you want to at least have a fulfilling opportunity to take advantage of not just for the sake of the game, but for the environment around there. And it seems like both Packers and Giants fans, maybe Packers fans are not smiling as much because of the result, but overall a good experience. The good news is, listen, the NFL, this is not their first rodeo. They have put on this show for multiple years. Remember, the Giants were in the inaugural game against the Dolphins back in 07. This so has got to be years. one of the
2: best games, though, that London's ever had. I mean, it was the first well, time I mean, they the had Saints two Vikings winning records,
5: game. right? Yeah, but the Saints-Vikings game last week came down to a 60-yard field goal attempt at the and buzzer. That, I mean, that wasn't bad.
2: I said one of the best. Oh, I didn't okay. say it was well, number one. But it, it sounded it be like one you were trying to
5: elevate, though, it to the top. That's how I took it. I was-
2: you know, they've had a lot of really rotten stinkers over yeah, there over, sure. over the yeah. course of time. First time they'd had two teams with winning records playing the game. So it, it stood to reason that it would be a very competitive game. Anyway.
5: Let's head back to the lines. LeVar is in Atlanta joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, LeVar?
2: Hey, Paul
5: and Lance.
6: How you doing? How are you? All right.
5: What's on your mind? Good.
6: I, I heard that I'll, I'll go on recognizing that that was the best game. I think Green Bay, New York. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, two-time MVP, down to the wire like that. I'd I'd say that was the best uh, uh, London overseas game, but that's just my opinion. But I wanted to call and uh, talk about, I know John has said many times that the season, uh, he's not basing it on wins and losses. And I don't totally agree with that. I always like to to get wins. But I I do agree that the season is more than just wins and losses for us. It's about evaluating talent and making progress. And without trying to bury the lead, I think that everybody who watches these games is very closely watching Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and what they do. And I want to say I think Paul is dead on when he said that Daniel Jones was magnificent yesterday and in the way he was poised and how he converted third downs, kept the offense together, brought us back. And I think that that's a further testament to the fact that he is very capable and should be strongly considered the future quarterback for this franchise going forward. And I also want to point out that in the post game, I don't know if this was brought up at some point, but I think you all heard it, that Brian Dable was asked and he qualified Daniel's performance as excellent. And he said, I'm glad he's our quarterback. And I thought that that was very telling and well-deserved. And the only thing I had a problem with, uh, yesterday in his performance, and after this I'll get off and listen because I'm at work and i got to go, was when he tried to run that ball in and lowered his shoulder and tried to take on, I think, Preston Smith at, like, the four to three-yard line. And uh, that's all I got, guys. Thank you.
1: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
5: All right, Laura. Appreciate Lance, the
2: phone call. <laughs> we've been talking about him and Eli maybe not learning how to slide for a long time, and that was a dangerous play.
5: Yeah, well, Daniel, he loves to fight for every inch, he really and puns. I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. It's hard to reprogram a guy. You know, normally you watch him, and you're like, just slide, live to see another <laughs> please, play. go and down, he please. just loves to take on the contact. Keep I mean, first. remember, you know, he took on Grady Jarrett when they played the Falcons last year <laughs> on a two-point conversion. So, I mean, you know, that's Daniel. That's who he is. That's his I DNA. Know. No matter how much you coach him up, I I don't know whether or not it's going to get through at this point. As far as Dable's commentary, he's been complimentary of Daniel Jones after other games. I wouldn't read too much into the language. I mean, listen, we get calls, Paul, all the time. The season has to play out. The Giants are not going to make a decision after every single game where they have a board, okay, in Joe Shane's office. And remember when you go to the... Fair, and there's those games where you got to throw the balls in the hole and the horse moves a little bit okay. across. You. I'm trying to paint the visual so if you, if you understand you. me, Paul, okay? Okay, so my point is there's not one of those things in Joe Shane's office, Paul, right? where after every game they throw another ball in the hole oh. and, and the end, the finish line, okay. the point is at the end of the season got to get you. Daniel Jones to the finish line. I got and you. if he gets to the finish line, that justifies giving him another contract. That's not how they're evaluating him. Well, and we, we keep getting a lot of calls after every game. Oh, Daniel Jones now, he's 50% towards a new contract. No, 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 he's 42% towards a new contract. You can't operate and think that way. You game
2: know, to game. His performance, if you're going to grade his performance objectively through the first five games, objectively, there's no question that he's the guy who deserves to be here and gets another deal. There's no doubt about that. If you strictly based it on the performance that he's put on the field for these five games, and even the harshest critic in the world would be a fool to come out and say that that's not the case. However, it's only five games in, and what is the biggest question that Any of us, even those who have backed Daniel Jones, have said, durability, he can't afford to play 10 games or 12 games of a 17-game season. So you know what that means, Lance? Do the math. He's got 12 more games to go to get to the finish line. What if he gets hurt against Baltimore and is out for the year? Then how do you justify giving him a new deal?
1: You can't, right?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm completely with you. So, so... Performance, yes. The tape says Daniel Jones is the guy. And I defy any fool to get on these airwaves and say he's not because you're a fool. It's that simple. But, again, this is not just about his tape. The durability factor is part of this equation. And he's got to still get through the season. Same thing with Saquon
5: Barkley. Barkley, too, has looked fantastic no over doubt. the first five games. But durability, and now he's got a hurt shoulder. Absolutely. So that's a big part. Of evaluating him. That's why it's not a game-to-game evaluation.
2: Now, I will tell you, I've said this before on the air, and I'll say it again. I think by the middle of this season, if the Giants feel, and I do believe they are strongly on this side of the ledger, that Daniel Jones is the guy, there's nothing wrong with going to him and seeing if they can get a three- or four-year deal, a modest number, and say, Daniel, look, we're going to take a gamble on you being healthy the second half of the season. But in return for that gamble, because we'll sign you now, we'll agree to a deal with you now, but guess what? The number's going to be smaller because we're still taking a gamble on your health. If you are willing to bite, go ahead. Let, let's make a deal, but understand the number is smaller because we're ga- we're taking the risk here. We're gambling on your health. And if you want to get a nice deal, we'll, we'll give you a nice three or four-year deal but the number's going to be a little smaller because we haven't seen you stay healthy for the entire season. I think that that is a very plausible scenario.
5: Plausible, sure, and it doesn't hurt.
2: But once again, personally, I think the
5: Giants are better off waiting till the season ends, see the whole set of games before you even entertain anything beyond this season. And then also, how many times have you seen, okay, maybe a team is interested, but the player would rather see what happens also well, yeah. with respect to the Aaron market Aaron Judge too. bet on himself, yeah. right? It takes two to tango, as I always say. Just because a player or a team wants a deal does not mean the other side of the equation is feeling the same way at this point of the year.
2: Although I will tell you this, if Daniel Jones were to have an opportunity to be free agent at the end of the year and walk, he would be rather foolish to leave this Kafka-Dable system, which clearly at this point in time has taken his career to another level.
5: Well, because you figure, hey, listen, if you're comfortable in the system and you've played well, that that should help you in the long run. But once again, that's how we're looking at it. It doesn't mean that the yeah, agent and the player <laughs> true. Okay, are only weighing that. That There's, is
2: very true. The agent it, only looks at it one way for him, and that's well, it.
5: There seems to be some green factors, if you understand, that also <laughs> tend to play a role with a contractual negotiation. Let's head back to the phone lines. Let's check in with Walter in Nebraska as he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Walter?
4: Hey, Charlotte, how are you doing today?
5: Hi. Doing very well. How about yourself?
4: Good, good. Um, I got one question and kind of two comments, and I'll take them off the air. Um, I, I, I was getting watching the Baltimore game last night, man, and uh, JPP, man, he, he's uh, he's still very valuable. I didn't know, um, yeah, he got a you know sack. what his concept was.
5: Huh? No, I said he was very aggressive, and he got a sack. I saw it. Yeah yeah
4: yeah and I just you know i I don't know, um I know initially at you know at these guys end their career, um they you know he he was a valuable piece here for so long. I didn't know if uh you know we might be able to get him next year. Or what your thoughts would be about, you know, probably trying to get him in next year or what, I don't know if he's under contract for a couple of years. Well, Walter,
5: I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're five games into the 2022 season. Can we get through <laughs> the final 12 before we start talking about free agency in 2023? No, 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 no. Isn't that well, somewhat now, feasible? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. Like
4: I said, I was just looking at his performance and, uh, want, you know, wanting to look into next year. Um, and then, I, I, you know, my question is, uh, I, I wanted to know about, like, each, like, and I think it's been out of the last maybe three or four games, we've been getting uh, these calls for these, like, illegal uh, illegal procedures. You or, mean you know, illegal
2: formation calls?
4: Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just driving me crazy. And I know this is going to be part of, like, our, our offensive formation, I just would like to kind of see them get, uh, you know, get that each time we have that kind of the wildcat, uh, and it's a flag. I just, I just say to myself it's illegal formation or something like that. Uh, and then, the, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, I, you know, ask about will mention about Paul's part. Um, I, I do agree with you that Daniel Jones has been playing, you know, incredible this year. There, st- for me personally, I, I guess, you know, for. Um, what what the offense can be and and there are some plays there's some i will just say that there's some been some meat on the bones and i I think that you know and like i said i know we're under a new regime and it's best to just grade them off that but as far as uh, um you know how how efficient i I would say this offense can run with a you know a better quarterback that that's just my take on it but like i said that there you know i want us to win every week i have no you know, uh, no qualms about how he's playing now, but I just – I know that there's more meat on the bone for, you know, for, for someone else of that skill set. Um, you know, and then and I, the last thing I'll say, and I'll get off the line, fellas, man, is just I love how the players are just fighting for table. Um, I really like this new regime, and, I you know, I can't wait to see how, you know, how they navigate, you know, uh, this next offseason as well, man, because I just – I. I, I'm, I'm loving the when you play, but I just know that it's not enough. And, you know, I, I know we need more pieces around this, man. But
2: All right, Walter. Um, appreciate the it. phone call. Thanks, yep. Walter. Thank you you got it. And, that, and that's fair, by the way. Daniel Jones, I don't know that he's ever going to put up fantasy football, pinball kind of stats. I don't know that he's ever going to be that guy. Phil Simms, usually in his career, was not a pinball statistical machine either. game was
5: different then, though, in fairness. I
2: understood. Understood. But the question becomes, okay, is the guy doing what's necessary for your team to be in position to win? Or is he a detriment? Is he not helping your team? Or is he hurting your team? Daniel Jones to this point is helping the team. But I understand that. He he's not going to be Tony Romo or Phillip Rivers, two of the great fantasy football quarterbacks who never won Jack Spratt. I get they won it. a
5: lot of games in their careers. Yeah, though, but Paul. when it came I mean, when it came on. to the
2: postseason, yeah. I could I could I could fit yeah, all their that, victories inside well, the, the needle. I, I don't think uh, the that's an really fair
5: synopsis of those two guys. That's but. all right.
2: They're you fantasy football, shots, fantasy so football quarterbacks, both of those guys. Well,
5: they're more than fantasy football okay. quarterbacks. Philip Rivers is For making you. a case For to you. go to the Hall of
2: Fame. For Come you. Come on, Paul. That's insane. You're right. River, insane Rivers, Rivers is going to the Hall of Fame. You're He's right. Certainly he certainly has a go. case.
5: To, he doesn't have a case to go to the Hall no, of Fame.
2: No, he'll go. You're right. I agree with okay. you. Philip right. Rivers will go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> okay. but, 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 but if you want Lombardi's, you don't want Philip Rivers.
5: Well, listen... Of course, everybody wants a trophy. That's the end all, be all goal. But Dan Marino doesn't have one either. Is he a fantasy football quarterback?
2: Dan Marino. What I would take Dan, Dan Marino, Marino over Philip oh, Rivers any okay. day. Of oh,
5: week. so Dan Marino gets a pass, even though he doesn't have a Lombardi. Well, he
2: trophy. got to a Super Bowl though. But he doesn't have a Lombardi trophy. Or at least he Who got can- there.
5: So that's a participation trophy, then.
2: It's a hell of a lot better than what Phillip Rivers So has. You, What's so, his okay, postseason so, record? So,
5: meaning a participation trophy though holds a lot right, of weight. Let's
2: get back to You're the good. call. Well, I mean, come that's on, right. Paul. I, I don't like. I don't. I've never. I never liked Philip Rivers, and I never liked Tony Romo. Okay, but then, then say preference. That. Then why not just say that you don't like them? Personal but, preference. I okay. never liked them as quarterbacks. So, right, I thought don't they like were them. fantasy football quarterbacks.
5: I just think that's very harsh that's in terms okay. of your evaluation. That's all right. You cannot like a player. That's fine, but then don't let the bias get in the way of. In fairness, oh no, to I'm at least
2: fully, I'm, fully admitting, it. Have I'm careers, fully admitting it. I'm fully admitting it. They to me were fantasy football quarterbacks, and I personally would not have wanted them on my team. That's well,
5: all. Well, they clearly they weren't on a team that at least you had to cover. How about that? Okay, so you you got your goal at the end of the day. Considering they didn't come anywhere near a Giants uniform, though Rivers was close, though. Remember, you know, Rivers was close, but you traded him, so you were able to survive. From that standpoint, getting back to the caller's points with respect to Daniel Jones, it's also possible that he has success this season, but Dable and Shane also may look at the market or the draft and think that they can upgrade their circumstances. It's just important to understand that, that sometimes teams feel they like the quarterback, but they also want to explore other options. You always need to keep that in mind, regardless of a player's performance. Let's head back to the phone lines. Cliff is in New York, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Cliff?
7: Hey, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for the program, and thanks so much for the post games uh, yesterday. I listened to both of you. It was great. Um, hey, well, thank you. We appreciate uh, I, you tuning in. Yeah i i, um, I wanted to um, I wanted to say something about O'Shane, but before that. Um, I got so inspired by you yesterday, Lance, about the pass defense stat, I I went to the box scores of the other NFC teams, just the NFC teams, and only one NFC team had more than four PDs, and they had one guy that had, uh, they had eight, and they had one guy that had four, and one guy that had two, so I don't know if this deep dive is significant, but we had six guys that had PDs, and they only had four. And that was the 49ers.
5: Well, that's interesting. I just, I look to me, Cliff, and I appreciate you doing that homework. To me, it's the volume. Seven passes defensed on 14 incompletions. I don't remember seeing that very often. And once again, analytics and numbers don't tell the whole story. I mean, I'm an optics guy too, but that caught my eye when I was reviewing the box yeah. score and I brought it up on the. WFAN post-game show, too, because that is just a ridiculous number of passes defense.
2: That's a great ratio. Yeah, well, that's why I look. And usually, Cliff, Cliff, I will say this. Usually you'll find those kinds of ratios for defenses over the last few years against the Giants. The Giants Uh have had a lot of trouble because their receivers over the last few years have not made plays for their quarterback. And they have allowed guys in the secondary to knock passes away not make the contested catches and give up a lot of pds and also have a lot of drop passes this this all goes Uh, back to what i keep saying receivers gotta help out the quarterback and the giants receivers are doing it this year
7: oh that's great I, i i knew the total number was significant that's really what i was looking for nobody else had more than four except the 49ers and and uh uh with oshane The thing that I thought of him, I was so happy, obviously, not just that he made the the, the final play, but going into the game, I was thinking, gee, this reminds me of Kansas City last year when we're going up against an elite team that's not playing up to its capabilities uh, and an elite quarterback uh, who's not doing what he normally does, and I wonder if it's going to be like that. And what do I get at the end? Is O'Shane coming up big very differently than he came up against Kansas City last year?
5: Well, that was another highly contested game that you're referring to that also came down to a down-the-wire play and a mishap here or there. Interesting comparison, and I do think Green Bay a little bit ahead of maybe where Kansas City was at the time, but still certainly point well taken about question marks, changing of the personnel, guys still trying to get on the same page. and. As you mentioned, Cliff, they avoided the mental mistakes. Because remember, the Washington game last year, too. Remember the field goal attempt, the penalty that gave them the redo? There's another example. I wouldn't limit it to Kansas City. You didn't see those down the stretch. You got the passes deflected at the line of scrimmage against Aaron Rodgers. There was no penalty, a hold or something on the back end. O'Shane Zimenez, remember, got the sack. Aaron didn't even have a chance for a Hail Mary. And Aaron has had a few Hail Marys over his career, including one against the Giants. Yeah, but he had one against the Lions, too. So they didn't even give him an at bat, once again, as I like to call it, and you didn't have a mental mistake hovering over that. So, yeah, that was a huge difference in comparison to some recent games. And,
2: you know, the batted-down passes by Thibodeau and McKinney at the end of the game, I mean, you know, we keep forgetting that sometimes the best pass defense— isn't coming from the secondary and it's not even coming with a sack or a pressure. Sometimes it's just knocking the pass down while yeah. it's in the throwing lane.
5: Absolutely. They did the same thing oh, to Baker Mayfield.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
5: You're right. Came to town. Against you got it. The Panthers when they played them. Yeah.
7: So, well, 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 um, I, I love to talk about Daniel. I've been a supporter of him from day one. Um, uh, I, I appreciate the context that you're trying to put it in. I think that's the tradition with, with quarterbacks. Even though everybody says Eli's going to the Hall of Fame, nobody was uh, talking about him lighting things up, even on a, in, a, in a scheme that more resembled the modern day than Phil Sims did. And uh, I just hope we can get some perspective on this thing going forward. And uh, uh, maybe the most important thing is not that the agent makes the most money. Well,
5: once again, I mean, you look at it differently sometimes from other people, Cliff, and appreciate the phone call, thanks for weighing in, but there's a lot of different people that are involved in a conversation like this, and I want to bring up Carson Wentz in this conversation, and I'm not bringing it up to say that he's Daniel Jones or vice versa, and Carson made some decisions late in games, which you can understand why maybe Indianapolis moved on from him, but... In fairness, Carson had a good season with the Colts. From a TD to INT ratio, he had 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. I mean, you would sign up for that in a heartbeat if you were running a team. They lost games early in the season. They were 0-3, and then they lost two games to the Raiders and Jaguars. It wasn't just Carson. There were other factors, and they decided to move on. They brought in Matt Ryan. Things have not necessarily Paul gone smoothly with Matt Ryan in the early stages of the season. No. Had a nice win against Denver, but I'm sure if you ask Frank Wright, they want to see better production on the offensive side of the ball, so... Why I'm bringing that up is sometimes teams make decisions, and it's not just about did the guy have a great statistical year. It could be they think they can upgrade other facets within their offense. Maybe ownership is not fond of the guy. I'm not saying the Giants are operating like this, but it's not black and white, Paul. Well, That's there my are point.
2: always intangibles in every one of these decisions. It's never just a clean stat line, Lance. Yeah. It's never going to be a clean stat line. There will be intangibles involved positively or negatively every time somebody comes to the table and says, what are we going to do with this guy? And and those things matter. And I think all the intangibles for Daniel Jones right now are very positive. He's looked at as tough. He's looked at as smart. He's looked at as a leader. He is looked at as a good teammate. I think all his intangibles are, are in his favor right now. So, you know, if somebody wants to say, well, his numbers aren't great, well, I get it. The, the numbers are rather modest. But the intangibles are certainly working on his side of the ledger, and, and he's one of the reasons that they're 4-1. and one. Let's not kid ourselves.
5: As an extension to this conversation, and this is where I want to finish up, they had a season-high 27 points, and that was big because another thing, Paul, that we discussed on Friday – And it turned out you needed a season-high 27 points to beat the Packers. They were hovering around 20 points in their first four games. You needed to up the production, and they accomplished that. But that's going to have to continue. And that's a measurement with respect to Daniel Jones, and it's a measurement for this entire offense. 27 needs to be the target moving forward, going up against Baltimore and going up against Jacksonville and finishing these drives with touchdowns which was the big change if you evaluate the first four games Mm -hmm. versus the fifth one. And once again, if we're talking about evaluating the quarterback and the quarterback not doing things to hurt you but helping you win games, a big part of that is getting down the field in the red zone and walking away with seven points as opposed to three. See, the one stat we haven't thrown out, but I think it goes without saying based on what we talked about, they were three for four in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Paul, four yep. trips, three touchdowns. That's the ratio. 75%? That's what you want to see. The Giants, they would be fortunate if they would sniff 50% sometimes, right? In the last few seasons.
2: That had been the Achilles heel for well, this team. And how many times in those situations did you see four wides, empty backfield, offensive line would collapse? Or, or the quarterback, uh, you know, would, would would be under so much duress that he had to or throw penalties. the ball away. What about or penalties, penalties, too? penalties, too. Penalties, yeah. too. And by the way, it's a lot easier to commit a penalty in a passing situation than it is a running situation. We all know that. That's why, they, you know, they've always said years ago, like, you know, three things can happen when you pass the ball and two of them are bad. Well... The pounding the ball, running the ball in the other team's red zone is going to lead to more success as long as you are effective in doing it. If you can't run the ball, now you're putting yourself into a pass-only situation and you enhance the odds for the defense. This is such fundamental football, it's not even funny.
5: And they did have six penalties. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a little bit lower than what the trend had been. They had eight in the first three seven in the fourth. And by the way, these are accepted penalties. I just want to clarify one thing though, that actually this is appropriate to talk about it. We had a caller earlier ask about the illegal formations and to the caller's point, David Sills was called for an illegal formation against the bears. Andrew Thomas was called for an illegal formation against the Packers. Now that has to do with where personnel is lined up prior to the play. And they move a lot of personnel around. Okay. This offense, they make no secret about it. Dable Kafka, They're going to maximize the roster, and they're going to try to get creative. And you can see Dableman, he's having a battle royale with the officiating He really is. After every time they call it a legal formation. He's making a case. It's almost like he's on trial. After the call and the prosecution and defense, they each present their side. The problem is is that refs are not necessarily hearing out his side too much, but he's been animated. I've noticed that after both of those plays. He's specifically making a case to argue, we coach this, we practice it, it is not a legal formation. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something that they're going to have to be cautious he of. He needs to fun.
2: hire Perry Mason as a sideline assistant so that Perry Mason... <laughs> Could, could argue the case and win it against these officials.
5: Well, I, if you could point to me, though, Paul, in fairness, when was the last time you saw a flag get picked up as a result of an illegal formation call after a coach made a case to an official? That would probably be a first in NFL history oh, if wow. that ever happens. Anyway. You've seen a hold. You've seen some of those things get picked up after the fact. I can't remember. Yeah, you know what? Two guys talking. zebra shirts and they say yeah you know i saw this from a better angle i think david sills was a little bit away from the (laughs) line so you know what like that's really gonna happen well that's my point so (laughs) even if perry mason was on the sideline i don't think he'd have success (laughs) making a case but that is to the caller's point though i did want to address that because there was a lot thrown out earlier we didn't have a chance to address it so i'm glad that we at least circled back all right that is going to wrap up monday's edition of big blue kickoff live Stay tuned to giants.com. Brian Dable will be talking. I believe they actually moved it up. He should be talking at about 145, 15 minutes or so. Indeed. Okay, so there you go. So we should maybe get some type of an idea of how the team got out of London and maybe who perhaps is going to have to deal with the injury bug as they now navigate. What is a quick turnaround to adjust? to the normal schedule against the Baltimore Ravens. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, it's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and we'll speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.
1: You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like... And...